Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, this is this is a, a good chance for you, maybe if you're visiting, to uh, just be introduced to our church and uh, one of the values that we have as a church. I, I remember growing up uh, when I was younger, wrestling with my faith and what I believed in God. That I was always caught in this tension that you either believe in the power of the Holy Spirit or you believe in thinking, and it created this kind of tension in me because nobody helped me to understand that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that He renews our minds, and so the part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us is to stretch us in this kind of thinking. And this week I, re I realized that more, how much more we need the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit because I entered a space I don't usually teach in. I actually had the opportunity to be on the campus of McGill uh, this week and I had this wonderful invitation to go and share with some students. You'll just see a picture of this. And they're, they're basically, uh, as a group of students, they have some different dialogues and they invited me to speak about Jesus, which if you ask me to do that, we're going to go on for a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was really, really special to be there. To be with many students who are studying in important courses, they're thinking about their future, there'll be future leaders, studying in such important fields, and yet making time with some curiosity about Jesus. Some of them may be already understanding Jesus, some may be not sure. And I realized being there how many of them found it so refreshing to just find it safe to ask some questions. To safe to be like, I'm doubting, or I'm not sure about this, or I, I wasn't aware, or I used to learn this in church, but what about another view? And so hopefully for you, you remember this. That as you're growing and as somebody asks you questions or as you meet somebody who needs just to be encouraged, you can say, hey, there's space and room for you to grow in this. That God loves us even when we're struggling to find the answers. He loves us even when we feel like unsure and he finds us in those questions. Actually, this teaching series we've been in on the book of Genesis has been maybe a test for you. A test because for many people when they read their Bible, we naturally look for the easiest way to learn. Like, tell me what I should do, what I shouldn't do, and who's the person in the Bible that I can follow, right? We love that. I, that's easy to preach, by the way. Like, find this person, be like them, right? But reading the book of Genesis is not that way. It requires a little bit more thinking. You're going a little bit deeper. And what we've tried to do is to encourage you to read through the first few chapters and to see how you're doing with that. Now, some of you took on the challenge. You said, I'm going to start 2024 and be a bit more disciplined in how I read my Bible and grow. And if you did that, you would have landed on a topic and a theme that we're looking at this morning, which is the last chapter of the section that we were reading, and that's chapter 11. And if you got to chapter 11, you might not have realized this, but it's about a topic that all of us are kind of bombarded with every single day, and that's the topic of success. How you define success, who taught you about success, how much you long for success, where all of those things come up. Now, if you're here and you don't have any of those problems, sure, you're probably lying. But all of us have these feelings around success, and then what happens, we pass on those values, those feelings, those beliefs to our kids. And then they start to feel the stresses of that, the anxieties of that, whether it's with school, with work, with what the world says. 
And it took me a while to realize that the Bible actually even addresses this issue in such a profound way. If you haven't been with us, part of where we're landed is this section of the Bible, and it's chapter 11, and I'm going to read a passage for you, and it tells us something about what's happening in the book of Genesis, and it's the first time that people in the story begin to create. They begin to build things, they begin to shape culture, and you'll see it on the screen. Let me read it for us. It says this, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly, and they used brick instead of stone, and tar for mortar. Now, if you got to this section of Genesis, you probably have remembered how important it is to, to land on important things that God is here. So as I unpack this passage, I want to just remind you that so far, we have felt what it's like to meet a God in the book of Genesis who's so unexpected. Unexpected from what we ever thought. A God who's so powerful, so incredibly knowledgeable, is aware of everything that's going on, and when he starts to create what he can do in one day, he does in six. And then he rests. And you're like, I'm our, I have questions. Like, why would a God who has all of this power, who can do everything in one day, do it in six days? And then rest? A God who needs to rest? That sounds weird to me, right? That already at the beginning of Genesis, you have these glimpses of God who says, I'm not like the gods that you see around you. And the things that he teaches us are not so much about what he needs, but what we need. We need a rhythm of rest in our life, and God models that for us. So there's this unexpectedness about God. And if you've been reading and learning, you know this. The next step is this idea that as God creates, he creates out of nothing. If you missed chapter, you know, week one or week two, you maybe forgot this. That creating out of nothing is such an, an important part of the Genesis story that many of the other religions at the time had a view of God who created from things, but at the beginning of the Bible, when God starts to create, he creates when there's nothing there. The reason this is so important is that people would never forget that the things that are created are not in themselves divine or like God. We live in a culture where so many people, they worship nature, they love nature, they almost feel connected to God when they ski, when they swim, when they go to the ocean, and that's kind of okay, but it's dangerous because at some point, people start to see nature almost as if it is like God. And in the Christian faith, when God creates, he says, this is all good, but I'm creating out of nothing, and that means I stand out of creation. I'm outside of creation, although the creation is good for you to enjoy, and I made it for you. So these important themes are there. And the last thing for, before we get to this passage that you'll understand is that something unexpected happens about God and we experience this undeserving love of God. This undeserving grace that after we broke things, after we messed things up, after humans continued to be disobedient, I gave you a word that might help you remember that there's this cosmic what that happens. This cosmic disobedience that happens in the story. And then God, instead of just getting rid of us and yelling at us and punishing, he begins to say, you know what? I'm able to care as you experience the consequences of doing this. And God begins to show us how he's going to care in the story. He comes to us. He continues reminding us that he set boundaries in place. So you need to have that trajectory when we get to chapter 11. Because at chapter 11, humans are in full business mode. They're in full building mode. Cities are being built. New kind of, it's almost like chapter 11 is a shift in civilization. There's a new sense that these humans have been created with a desire to achieve, a desire to make things, a desire to build a dream, a desire to have a vision for their lives, and all of those things are such good things. By the way, when you think about a great job, a great career, making a difference, having dignity with your work, that's all a gift of a good God. 
It's all a gift of a God who wants us to experience his blessings, experience his goodness. When you get up in the morning, you're tired, you're like, God, give me the strength because as I work hard, I can honor you in my work. I can honor you in the things that I do. And you get this picture of this starting to happen at the beginning of the story where humans are starting to do this. There's just something very interesting about this, and it's right at the beginning, where it says, now the whole world had one language and common speech. You need to kind of remember that, and if you were taking notes, you probably missed it. But if you've been reading with us, chapter 10 and chapter 11 seem like they have a problem. And maybe you forgot this, or maybe you caught it, but one of the things I want to do is just read a section of chapter 10 for you to see if you notice it. Now, if you were in a setting where you were doing uh, school for this, this is a time where the teacher would give you the quiz right, to see how much you've listened. So just to help you, our host team's going to come out with some quizzes, and we're going to do a quiz right now. Ready? Ready? Some of you, I saw it in the face. You got white. You're like, oh my goodness, that's why I hate school. All right, PTSD. Those of you online are like, that's why I don't go to church. No, we miss you. We'd love for you to come. Okay. But, but there's this idea that at, in chapter 10, I'm going to read it in a second, and I want you to see if you notice what is so unique about what happens in chapter 10. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. A few verses, just three different verses. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories, each with its own language, verse 5. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and the languages, in verse 20. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and their languages, verse 31. You can go on and see that. Any of you notice something interesting about these passages? You're paying attention? Some of you are married to someone who's smarter than you, so go like this and say, help. Help, I don't know. That in chapter 10, we're given a picture of a God who creates. And as people grow, as people love each other, as clans start to develop, they each develop their own languages. And languages is meant to celebrate God's diversity, God's goodness, the expansion, the way God is going to model his creative essence in all of his people. Language is a big deal. If you're watching from somewhere else outside of Quebec, trust me, it's a big deal. And it's not even cool to talk about it. Okay? Some of you got that. But uh, the idea that languages have this incredible tension for us, because we know language is not just words. It's identity. It's culture. It's songs. It's food. You feel all of that tension, and it's right there in the Bible. And at the beginning of chapter 11, there's only one language. There's only one common speech. And the writers of the Bible want us to feel something that's like you got to see through the cracks here, that all of a sudden something has happened from this beautiful world that God gave us that is about diversity to now this controlling way that cultures have found a way to just squeeze all the languages and cultures out and only have one. I'll give you an image for you to see it. It might help you if you're like a visual learner. It's something like this. A good God gives us a world that's built on dependence and diversity. Very simple. Our human brokenness leads us to keep creating a world of control and conquer. And in chapter 11, we feel that right away. How is there just one language? How did this happen? Like, I, I want to know who did this. How did you silence all of the language, all of the clans, all of the cultures? How did that happen? If you were studying in university and if you were taking a course uh, in, in a CGEP, this would be Intro 101 to Colonialism. This is what the class would be called. What it's like when people's hearts are left to their own devices and they decide that the best way to succeed is to crush all others. Chapter 11 of Genesis. You get the sense that something is going on in the story and it doesn't seem the way God intended it. There's this incredible movement towards success and power. And by the way, success is not a bad thing. 
But now it's going to be used in such a way where power and control and conquering become the dominant lens. The writers of Genesis tell us this is not what God has intended for his creation. And think about that in your own life. I know this, that having many languages and many cultures and the diversity is just slower. It just takes time. It's harder to communicate. It's harder to understand perspectives. It's harder to appreciate the goodness of other cultures. In our home, I feel that a lot just because I married someone outside of our culture, outside of my culture growing up. And so I grew up in Montreal. My wife and her family are from Ontario. You know, Ontario culture is, you know, Tim Hortons-like, right? We know that. She's here, and she's, she's heard these jokes a thousand times. But, uh, but there's a sense that there was this deep love in us that said, you know what, there's a love that draws us to want to honor, celebrate, and enjoy the diversity of the culture and the things we can learn from each other, all the things that God calls us to do. One of the greatest images of the church in the New Testament is people who are Greeks and Jews and other cultures and rich and poor who are worshiping and loving one another. This is the image that God's going to call us to, but in Genesis, we don't have that. In Genesis, we have power and control and containment and success. And then the Bible tells us this happens next, that these people who are kind of doing this, they're very symbolic of what it looks like when things go really, really wrong. It says this, and then they said to themselves, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. If you were here last week, maybe you remember a big word that I taught you. When you see words in the Bible that represent God's acting like a human, right? It's this rich word. It's called anthropomorphism. It's giving God human language to understand him because God is not actually coming down. God is, you know, he's able to see things. But it says that God is aware that these humans are now using their power to succeed, their desire to grow, to conquer, to build a city and a tower. Now, if you're taking notes, remember this. A city and a tower are not bad things. For civilizations to flourish, you need cities and towers, right? But the Bible tells us that their vision for the city and tower is to reach the heavens and, and a desire to what? To make a name for themselves, in the ancient world, whenever you thought of a conquering king and a conquering ruler, you thought of places that rulers and emperors put their names on. Alexandria is named after Alexander the Great. Constantinople is named after the great king, the emperor Constantine. This was very common. So if you wanted people to remember you, you put your name on things. And you're remembered for power and control. And all of these images are given to us in the Bible. This incredible movement that I want you to see that is so easy to miss. That from the beginning of the story of Genesis, God has called his creation to be those who are fruitful and who multiply and who go out. And by chapter 11, people are containing themselves and are going up. You have to remember that image. You have to remember that God's vision for his people was that he would bless them and as they would go out, they would be scattered among the nations and his blessings would go with them. And in chapter 11, instead of doing that and trusting God, they're just wanting to go up to reach to the heavens, to somehow make a name for themselves, and in a sense being disobedient from what God has asked them to do. And what's so beautiful in this passage that's easy, easy to miss, I, I missed it so often when I read it quickly and I'm not paying attention, is that so many people thought if you want to reach God, if you want to reach the heights, you go up. But God says, I've always revealed to you that I'm a God who can come down to meet you where you are. So you see the image that as the people want to go up, God comes down. 
to them. Not that God has to come down. But if you want to write a word to remember down with, is that God comes near. That God comes near and says, you know that I see what every, everything you're doing. Like, and what is happening here? What has happened in a culture where success and dominance and control has made it impossible now to be obedient, but to want to go up? And this image of going up is really, really an important image in the Bible. All along, God wants to remind us that He's a God that is with us when we go out, because out is the language of obedience. Out is the language as those who are scattered and who go to the ends of the earth. And if you don't remember this, that's exactly the language that Jesus will use. Now go into the whole world. And it's a revision of this picture of going out and being obedient. Right? And yet, right at the beginning of Genesis, we have this reminder of the temptation that we all feel that if we got our chance, we would prefer going up. We even have language in English to say that we climb up the ladder. You all know what that means. You climb up the corporate ladder. You're going up. It's the idea that success and recognition and power and influence, that's all we need. And we're created with this drive and this gift from God to achieve certain things. But when that gets distorted, we get stories in the Bible that say, wait a second, God sees that. God is aware of that. And he's paying attention to this. It's so important that we understand this language because we live in a culture that like promises us that if only we were recognized, we would be happy. If only we had more, we would be happy. If only we were successful, we would be happy. You know how many of you are not happy right now? You are the, we live in the richest country on the planet. And I mean, people every day are so unhappy. Why? Because Genesis 11 is right. That going up never gets your hearts to understand what it means that God's calling you to go down. And that's what God says to us. Have you fallen for the lie of this culture? That says if you have enough success, it's going to work. If you have enough success, your people are going to respect you. If you have enough success, then your kids will listen to you. Maybe for you this morning, the most simple thing God wants to do is heal your distorted view of the recognition of this world. You know how much freedom will come when you realize I'm not going to define myself by how the world defines success. You know how your kids will be set free when you don't put these burdens on them to be someone that God's never called them to be? Because God healed you. And if you want one idea to understand why this is so important in the story and how God will deal with it, is to remember that you are not what you produce. You are not your productivity. And if you don't believe this, in the next book of the Bible, there's a whole nation of God's people who are slaves because of that. They're slaves and they're told, you are what you produce. And if you don't produce, we kill you. Genesis chapter 11. It was there. And God is like, really? After you've tasted of my goodness, after you've learned that I've always come down to see you, you're trying to go up. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And this is what it tells us next. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, again, same language as the beginning of Genesis, let us go down and confuse their language. So the Lord scattered them, which is the, what they should have been doing. And they stopped building the city, and that is why it's called Babel. Now maybe you're confused, the tower's not called Babel, and you know, people call it the Tower of Babel, which is not a good translation. Babel is the Hebrew word for confusion. It's the moment in the Bible where God confuses the people. And confusion is a gift. The confusion is God saying, 
This will protect you from you. This will protect you from you thinking you can have success and achievement and power and conquering somehow that you could be like the gods. That you can find recognition and think be, to be outside of the boundaries that God has always given his people. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, you will see how important it is to remember that places that are higher up, places that are at the top of the tower, represent the places that were sacred where God spoke to his people. If you don't have a Bible, you might not know this, so I have it on a slide so you can see. It's very simple. But you'll see something like a tower, and you'll see like a mountain, and you'll see like high places. You'll see these images throughout the whole Bible. Tower is the first one we're looking at now. But high places were places when, when people conquered a land, they went to the high place and they made an altar there. Because they believe there is where the God, met, God met with the people. Now think about it. If you're living in a time where you think God is up, you would think the further up you go, the closer to God you are, right? But God's always teaching his people, listen, I'm the God that can come down. I don't just stay on the top of a mountain. But when Moses gets, God speaks to Moses, Moses will go up. And then after God speaks to him, Moses has to go back down. And at times the people are like, we want to go up. And Moses is like, I don't think we can. High places were sometimes places of other religions where they had their gods. And God's like, don't be tempted by thinking that if you can go to the high places, you're closer to God because I'm a God that comes down. I will find you. I will come to you. And all along, there's this tension between them wanting to feel recognition, wanting to feel important, wanting to feel that they can achieve everything. And God's saying to them, you will achieve everything you need if you go out, not if you go up. You will experience my goodness and my presence if you were obedient and you go out. So God will scatter them so that they have to go out. And all along, we feel this tension in our hearts because we live in a world and our kids live in a world and the next generation lives in a world that says your value will come from what you produce. Your value will come from what people say you are. If you don't believe me, just look at your resume. Every time you have to look it up and, and rewrite it and update it and write the right word to sound like you have a better competitive edge than someone else. Now, don't get me wrong. Resumes are important. The Bible doesn't say be lazy. The Bible doesn't say it doesn't matter what people think. I'm amazing. No, you're not. You might just be lazy. But the Bible does say be careful that your view of yourself is not tied to the world's view of success. Be careful that the view of who you are and how much you're loved is not connected to what you produce. But those things are gifts because you've been created with those desires. And this moment in this tower story right at the end is God saying this is so unhealthy for how I created everything to happen. Years ago, I watched a movie. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's called Toy Story. Any of you ever heard of Toy Story? Some people maybe, yeah. Uh, the, last, the last movie of Toy Story, which is amazing, one of my favorite movies of all time, Toy Story. And if you're not into those movies, like don't watch it, it's fine. But it, it's this incredible movie where all the toys are always like playing and when the kid, everybody leaves, they can speak and they talk. And in the last movie, there's a new toy that's introduced. Anyone know what he's called? Huh? Somebody, his name is Forky. Okay, Forky is a new toy in the 9 a.m. Some of the parents are like, we have one of those. Anyway, you might have one of these. And Forky's so unique. If you, if you watch the movie, you know this. Forky is special because he's made of trash. He's made of garbage. Okay? And what he starts to realize is that when he's put next to all the other toys in the house, he doesn't want to be there. And whenever he's left alone, he always runs and tries to go hide back in the garbage. He always wants to go back because he feels like trash. And the whole movie is Forky running away. Okay? That's the easy movie. And Woody, who's amazing, any of you ever heard of Woody? Woody, yeah? Next year, Fall Fest, Woody. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Just the idea that Woody, right, his whole job is to chase Forky all, all throughout the movie. He's chasing him everywhere. 
He's trying to get him back because he's running away. And he says this. Forky will say this in the movie. He's like, I'm just trash. Like, I'm just trash. And the most profound moment in the movie is when Woody tells Forky that it doesn't matter how useless he feels and how much he thinks he's trash. He's important because of who made him, not because of how he feels. He's important because Bonnie made him. And Bonnie will never be happy with the other toys unless she has Forky. And this is what happens in the movie. The whole movie is to get Forky back to Bonnie. And for Forky to realize, wait a second, it doesn't matter that I might feel like trash, I'm important because my creator, Bonnie, is the one who knows I'm most special to her. If you've been reading Genesis, you should feel that in the story. You should feel that the messiness, the brokenness, our desire to want success, to find our identity somewhere else, to do this, to be like God. God's like, your purpose is not in what you produce. The joy of who you really are is found in you remember that I made you. That God made you and me and our kids and he's created us and you might have questions about how that all happened and that's fine. But at its core, it's that we would know that deep in our hearts, when all the temptations of this world come to say to us, you'll have an identity that we recognize when you do this. You'll be important when you do this. We'll respect you when you do this. As Christians, we get a chance to say God has healed these abusive ways of defining success in our hearts. And we will not pass them on to our kids. We will remind them that they should work hard. They have a desire for dignity and work. But the world's definition of success and recognition is not what we want. And throughout the Bible, there's these moments of high places, of wanting to go up, and God saying, you need to go out. I'm a God who will come down to you. Don't you worry. Before we turn to communion, I want to just show you how this, in a profound way, is connected to how important Jesus will be. When Jesus comes and he begins his ministry, we know that right at the beginning of his ministry, he's going to be tempted by the devil. And if you understand Genesis 11 well, you'll realize that the devil is about to do something with Jesus that he's seen people fall for every single time in the history of humanity. is be tempted by going up high and seeing how important it will be when everybody respects them. That's what we're told. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See how powerful this is? If only the devil realized that I'm sure this guy will be tempted just like everyone else. I'll take him to the top of the mountain. I'll take him to the high places and I'll show him what real success will look like. He can have it all. Just that Jesus is not tempted at all by this success. He's not tempted because he's already modeled what it means to go out and what it means to be obedient. He's not enticed at all by going up. When we come to take communion, we get a glimpse of a God, not only who loves us, not only who's given us everything we need and is very aware of how bad we've broken our world, but in Jesus, God offers us this gift of believing again that as we go out and are obedient to the way Jesus was, that he has come down to our level. That for some of you, today as we take communion, you could come and say, God, heal in me the desire to find recognition and meaning and success in all other things that invite me to try to climb higher, be better, win at this, win at that, when God is saying, just learn to welcome going down. 
The biblical language for this is to practice humility. Maybe you do that for the first time. And part of what we love to say too is that when you start to do this for the first time, you're accepting the ways of Jesus right into your life. You're starting to say yes to the ways of Jesus. You're becoming a follower of Jesus and his ways in a world that says, just keep going up. A few minutes, we're going to invite you to the table. But as we wrap up and sing this song, can I invite you to just take a minute and hear this song and ask God to remind you that there's a freedom when we really believe that we are not what we produce. Listen to this. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine He's been my fourth man in the fire Time after time Born of His Spirit Washed in His What he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. So I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. Perfect submission, all is at. I know the author of tomorrow has ordered my step, knows my story, and this is my song, praising my risen King and Savior all the day. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. So I trust in God, my Savior. As we prepare now to come to the table and take communion together, the table is the place where we remember that in a world that teaches us or models kind of grasping 
for power, looking for ways to have success or a name for ourselves and grasping for power, trying to work up the ladder, that Jesus is the one that on the night that he was betrayed had gathered with his disciples, he chose to get low and wash their feet. And he chose to do this as a symbol of his whole life and ministry, that he was the one who had all the power, but he chose to empty himself of that power to come and to serve and to give his life for each one of us. And so whenever we come to the table, we're reminded of something not only God can give us, and we're reminded of what it means to just learn to depend on him more and to trust in him. The other thing that Jesus will do on that night is he will tell his disciples to go out into the world. And so as we come together to receive, we think about what it means to go out. We're called to just learn to depend on Jesus more and more for the strength and the provision that only he can give us as he promises to go before us and to go with us, to give us the power of his spirit that's so different than the power of this world. And so as we prepare to come up, I want to give you just a couple directions. Uh, one is that we'll invite you to come up in, in two lines. The, we'll have a team who will guide you up just to receive a bread from Pastor Dom and myself. We also have a gluten-free option here. And then just to grab a cup of juice or wine. Uh, and then from there, go uh, sit back down and uh, Pastor Dom will then kind of lead us through taking communion together. Uh, but I want to mention a couple of things. One, if you're new and this is kind of all new or, or kind of maybe a little weird to you, uh, we just want to say how thankful we are that you're here uh, and that you're just exploring this with us. And so we just want to encourage you. Uh, there's no pressure to come up. We, in fact, just encourage you to stay seated, even to uh, just think about maybe what the next step looks like and just seeking after God or trusting in him. Uh, maybe you haven't been baptized yet. You haven't chosen to say yes to Jesus. And so again, we're just really, really thankful that you're just uh, considering that step. We just want to even encourage you to come talk to us if you're thinking about that, t- taking that step. Uh, but for uh, those who come up, when, we sit, when you sit back down, I just want to encourage you to take the time to reflect and maybe even to ask God, like, God, what are the things that tempt me to look for success or to make a name for myself that keeps me from depending more on you? What are those things that I need to surrender in order to trust you more and to trust how you go with me? So we just encourage you to take that time to really reflect on that. So as we prepare to come up, we'll just pray. I invite you to pray with me. God, as we come to the table now, we're uh, reminded of what kind of God you are. That you're the God who, as we try and strive so hard to go up, that you come down to us. And that you promise to be with us and to give us your presence and a special kind of nourishment and provision. So God, as we prepare to come up, thank you that we can receive from you something only we can receive from you that we can't earn for ourselves. And so uh, just be with us as we come up um, to take and to just learn, to just surrender those things that keep us from depending more on you. So be with us now. Lead us and guide us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
always wonder how Jesus felt when he put on his mic. All the devil needed to do was convince Jesus that it was okay to go up. That his temptation was to keep his eyes off of being obedient, the most painful thing that he would have to do. Some of the things that God is calling you and I into will be painful. But Jesus promises in the power of God to have come down and to go with us as we go out. The disciples cannot imagine what Jesus is about to do next. That he's going to take a story that is connected to the most powerful ruler ever who crushed any sense of diversity, any sense of promise during Egyptian bondage. And Jesus is going to talk about this again because it's during the Passover meal where they remember that God set his people free, that Jesus will say this, for what I received from you, the Lord, for what I received from the Lord is what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. As he broke it, he said this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together, remembering Jesus. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. No matter how useless you might feel, no matter how much you remember your failures and your mistakes, no matter how many struggles you face this week and the ones that await us in 2024, you are not what you produce. You are loved and the power of Jesus is available to us who are his servants. We are the ones who find it easy to wash people's feet because of his power. And to wash feet, you must always go down. Remember that. Because in the next few hours as we enter our world, all the machine and temptations of success and power to make a name for yourself are ready. They are ready. But because of the cross, because of the Spirit, I really believe that we would trust together that they would not stick on us again. This is the gift of Jesus. Let's just stand as we pray. Father, we are here because of Jesus, our Lord. And today we call out again on the power of the Spirit that is always present, but we pray in a special way that we would be so open, open and sensitive to the places where the Holy Spirit is calling us to go in a world that just tells us to go up. We want to go out and to be your people and to serve and to love others and to remind them of the lies of this world that they will be more happy if only they were more successful. We thank you for the teachings of your scriptures and the gift of the Hebrew Bible 
and the ways we can go back and read them and learn and grow. I pray for anyone watching online or listening to this who needs to be set free. Jesus, would you touch them as they listen, as they watch? I pray for us in this room that as we go, we would begin to pay attention to the ways a distorted view of success creeps into our heart. That we would surrender that and not pass it on to our kids and to future generations. Help us now. As we go, that we would go in your name and in your power. And that always means that we would go in humility. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love you, friends. It's great to see you. Just want to remind you, if you want to pray with someone, we have someone in our prayer space. Starting next week, we start a new teaching series. We hope you can join us. If you're online, God bless. See you soon. Bye, everyone.